We have gathered this morning for a phase of our worship that is a celebration of the Lord's Supper. This is a very unique celebration that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded believers to participate in his name. This is a, a command that should be obeyed by every believer. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the whole thing is to do, to be done in remembrance of Him. So the instruction is do this in remembrance of me. And that is for us to celebrate the bread and the cup. We celebrate with the bread and the cup. The bread, as we have explained in the past, no doubt speaks to the body of Christ offered on, on our behalf on, on the cross. It also speaks to the fact that we belong to the body of Christ, the church. The cup indicates his offering of himself also on the cross on our behalf. But when we Partake of it, we are sharing in the blessings brought about by his death on the cross that includes the forgiveness of our sins. So it is, as I've said many times, this is the only authorized celebration in his name. And it has its significance. It celebrates his death. Not really his birth, his death. Because that is the thing that he wants us to remember. More than anything, he's dead. Because his death on that cross is what made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven. So, because it is a ritual, it is one that has great significance in the church. And that is to say that we should not partake of it very lightly. Because there is consequence. If you are a believer in Christ and you take it carelessly, you suffer some consequence. And so, we do have that warning when it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning Against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. Eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we will not come under judgment. So what that means is in practice that before you partake of this celebration that you should seriously consider your soul. Give a thorough examination to ensure that at the time we are celebrating sin is not controlling you in any form or shape. And that also means that if you've sinned admit it before the Lord and once you do that you get the cleansing, and then you're ready to celebrate 
this great occasion our Lord commanded us. So we give you a few minutes here to ponder before we celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this privilege that our Savior gave us to celebrate Him, to remember what He did on the cross for us. So as we have gathered to celebrate it, we pray that God the Holy Spirit will enable us to think, to focus while we celebrate this occasion. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. You know the routine, open up the top part. Our Lord, the night just before he was betrayed, he took the bread. Offer thanks and say, Eat, this represents my body. Father, we thank you again for this celebration and the, as we continue to celebrate. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to cause us to focus in what we celebrate. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to ponder a little bit before we celebrate the cup. Take some time and think through what we're going to be celebrating. we go through the same process remove the top part now and in the same fashion allow to the cup 
after offering thanks, say, drink from it, all of you. Yeah, we'll turn to number 186 and stand.
before the break and before the Lord's Supper, we reviewed the subject we have been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, the shared blessings of Israel. And we looked at the message, which is that you should, under the right spiritual leadership, enjoy God's blessing through Jesus Christ. We indicated that the uh, exposition of that message will focus on three blessings believers should enjoy while on this planet. The first blessing of Israel, based on Israel's experience, under the leadership of Moses, is God's presence manifested or evident in his protection and guidance of Israel. The second blessing consists of deliverance of Israel as they cross the Red Sea on dry land because the Lord parted the Red Sea. Now, we did not immediately consider the third blessing because the Holy Spirit wanted us to recognize the importance of right spiritual leadership as Moses was referenced in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Furthermore, Moses was introduced to warn us against not following exactly God's instruction. No exception. When God gives us instruction, we follow it exactly. So we also noted the importance of humility and faithfulness in the spiritual life of the believer. So with that, we introduce the third blessing. The third blessing of Israel under the leadership of Moses is continual sustenance by the Lord described first in terms of food in verse 3 when he said they all ate the same spiritual food. So we ask the question, what is this spiritual food? The answer, of course, is that although some uh, take the position that it refers to one of the elements of the Lord's Supper, <coughs> but we indicated it is really a reference to manna that God provided Israel. That's what is meant. Now we argued that the Lord did not give Israel directly uh, food prepared from heaven. Rather, he gave them material for food. And we argued also that one reason the apostle did not describe the food from heaven as bread from heaven is because Jesus Christ described himself as a bread from heaven. For that reason, it was important that the Holy Spirit guided Moses, I mean, um, guided uh, Paul to be careful not to say that what Israel ate was bread from heaven. He gave them the material from which they used to prepare their food, either baked or cooked. Now, we also argue that the reason then for that 
use of the expression of bread from heaven. I mean, not avoiding using it. It's simply that we all should recognize that Jesus Christ is the only bread from heaven because he is the one by, through whom and anyone can receive life and he was indicated that anyone who eats uh, his flesh which is since he de- de- uh, referenced himself as the bread from heaven then anyone who eats his flesh which really means anyone who believes in him will have life so what the uh, apostle then described in terms of food is what sustained Israel in the man and the desert for 40 years that the Lord provided them the manna. But then we argued from what was what we studied that yes, you need something to drink. And I made a comment which that most many many of us don't like to drink water. And that is, I say, that causes a lot of problems for health issues. Because we are loading ourselves with sugar instead of water. And I emphasize that because there is the benefit of living the spiritual life. It is not just the fact that you, you have that relationship of worshiping the Lord and, and saying His goodness. But there is also other benefits, part of which is being healthy. Now, it doesn't mean if you live according to truth, you're not going to be sick. That's not what I'm talking about. But the way that you, you, you suffer less. Because a lot of time we cause our suffering through what we eat. And so I emphasize that God gave Israel water. Not sweetened water. Water. So that we know and be very careful to do so. Nonetheless, he described the water a spiritual drink. And we began to show that the reason for calling uh, what God gave Israel spiritual drink is to tell us the source of this water is from a rock and it is done miraculously. It's not just water, but water that came out of a rock miraculously. That's why he described it as spiritual drink. And I began with showing the unique spiritual drink in the sense of this water from the rock. And I said there are two incidents, two occasions recorded when the rock was the source of water for Israel to drink. We looked at the first one that happened after Israel uh, went to uh, refeed him that I indicated in, we read through it in Exodus 17 Verses 1 through 7. So the second occasion is when Israel encamped in Kadesh, as described in Numbers 20, verses 1 through 11. And that's where we ended before we went on break. And so we resume with Numbers chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 reads. In the first month, the whole, of, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. There, 
Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the lost community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of the meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother, Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they, they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Now, this is really where Moses got into trouble. We're not going into the detail of it, but here's the thing. God says, speak to the rock. Is that what we read? No. That's why I emphasize the importance of doing exactly what God says. And that's when, once Moses did, uh, this is the incident. After this, God says, speak to the rock. Mother will come out. In his anger, you know what I He struck it. Based on his previous ex- experience. And when he did that, God still honored his word, but that man Moses will not get into the promised land. That's why I said we all have to be careful. Uh, of course, uh, entering promised land and not entering, it's not the same thing about salvation. Moses is a believer saved. That's, he just didn't get to enjoy the blessings of Canaan. In the same way, what will happen if we are not careful and how we carry out God's instruction, first of all, we're really not going to enjoy as much as we should on this planet. And more importantly, it will mean that we lose a lot of reward in heaven. Anyway, that aside, some commentators take the view, though, that these two passages describe one event. That's the one in Exodus 17, and this one in Numbers 20, they say it's the same event. Well, there are so many differences in the narrative of both incidents that it it does not appear that the same incident is described differently. Now, the Israelites kept wandering in the desert. So they returned to the same general location twice and faced the same situation of lack of water. Now, the water they drank was supplied miraculously from a specific rock that was at Horeb, 
Now it is true that Moses, who was an intermediate agent of the Lord's miracle of bringing forth water from the rock, but the true source of the miracle of water coming from the rock at Horeb is the Lord Jesus Christ. Described then in the clause of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, where we're studying, it says, The spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So, in this clause, the apostle then focused on the Lord Jesus Christ as the source of the water Israel drank. So, the phrasing, spiritual rock, conveys that the apostle was no longer thinking of the physical rock from which water poured out for Israel to quench their thirst, but on the source of the water that came from the rock. And it is for this reason that the apostle uh, could speak of spiritual rock. The word rock, of course, is translated from uh, a Greek word Petra that means rock. However, in the Septuagint, it is used as a name for God, as in David's song of praise after the Lord delivered him from all his enemies uh, in the Septuagint of Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. Second Samuel, chapter 22, verse 2, because uh, in the Septuagint, the Greek word we find in First Corinthians 10, 4 is one used in this uh, passage in Second Samuel, chapter 22. He reads, he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Now the word is also used figuratively for describing the resistance of the one described as the servant of God. That is, of course, the Messiah. He's resistant to every attempt to humiliate him as described in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7. Isaiah Chapter 50, verse 7. Isaiah 50, verse 7 reads, Because the sovereign Lord hates me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. See, the, the sentence, I have set my face like flint. In the Septuagint, really reads, I set my face like a solid rock. Like a solid rock. That's how, if you take the Hebrew, the Greek of the Hebrew of Isaiah and translate it, it will say, I set my face. Like a solid rock, not like a flint, as we find in the uh, analogy, for example. 
Of course, see, a flint is really a very hard stone that in the ancient time, people used to make primitive tools such as knives and arrowheads. That aside, though, the sentence, I set my face like flint, is an idiom that means one is fully determined to face any situation that confronts one. Thus then, the servant of God resisted the mistreatment he received by using the smile of his face. So we can say that rock is used to describe his unyielding character in the face of mistreatment. So we know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a make reference of almost every week, to the fact that he underwent some tremendous torture, yet he never did anything that would show that yes, he was overcome by it. So anyway, in the uh, New Testament though, the Greek word used in our passage means bedrock or massive rock formation. Now the word refers to a, a rocky ground within with uh, a very thin layer of soil as it is used in the lost parable of the sower as we read in Luke chapter 8 verse 6. Luke Luke chapter 8 verse 6 Luke chapter 8 verse 6 reads Some fell on rock and when it came up the plant withered because they had no moisture Now the Greek word is also used to describe Christ as a rock of offense or a rock of stumbling as in the quotation of the Old Testament by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 verse 33. Romans Chapter 9, verse 33. It is Romans chapter 9, verse 33. It is as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the Greek word is used in the sense of a large, smooth mass of rock detached from its place of origin. So the rock, in the miracle of providing water for Israel, in the desert is described using the word spiritual spiritual because of the interpretation 
the apostle was about to give the rock from which water rushed for Israel to drink. The apostle not only described the rock at Horeb associated with miracle of uh, provision of water for Israel with the word spiritual but also with the word accompanied accompanied say a spiritual rock that accompanied now that word accompanied is translated from a Greek word that literally means to move behind someone in the same direction hence means to follow or to come after as in the instruction of the Lord Jesus to Peter and John regarding locating the place he and they were to eat a Passover as recorded in Luke chapter 22 verse 10. Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22 verse 10. Luke 22 verse 10 reads, He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. The word may mean though to accompany or to go along with, as it is used to indicate the disciples of the Lord Jesus followed him to his own hometown. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 6 verse 1. Mark chapter 6 verse 1. Mark chapter 6 verse 1 reads, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. That means they followed him. Now the word may be used figuratively to mean to be a, a disciple. As an in instruction of the Lord Jesus to Matthew to become his disciple. As we read in Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. Matthew Chapter 9, verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 reads, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. That is, he became his disciple. So, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the word is used in the sense of to move behind someone in the same direction. That's, of course, to travel after or to come after. Now, this meaning then should alert the reader that the apostle was no longer referring to a physical rock that existed in, in Horeb. Since Rock is incapable of travel or going after someone. In fact, 
There was no time that we have a narrative of rock following the Israelites. But they returned to the same location after a long period of their first stay at the place of the miracle of provision of water from rock. Now the narrative in Exodus indicates that what followed the Israelites as they travel from Egypt is the cloud or the pillar of fire that symbolizes the presence of the Lord as we read in Exodus chapter 13 verse 21. Exodus chapter 13 verse 21. Exodus chapter 13 verse 21. It is by there the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Now this aside, it is probably the case that when the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the spiritual rock that accompanied them, he was thinking of a Jewish tradition. That's a tradition among the Jews at that time that says that the rock that provided water for Israel traveled with them as did the cloud did. That's what they, there was a tradition. They believed the rock was following them just as the uh, cloud followed them. Now in any case, there was really a specific rock that was at Horeb that the apostle had in mind because he used the phrase of 1 Corinthians uh, time form when he said, that rock, that rock, or literally, the rock, the rock. Since the apostle used a definite article in the Greek that refers to something well known. So it is a well known rock in the narrative of the miracle of provision of water for Israel in the desert. Now we said that, uh, we said that this is a well known rock because in the first reference of the rock we are simply informed that it is at Horeb. In the passage we've read before, but just go Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. It reads, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now the second reference to the miracle of water issuing from the rock. The rock was not described as being uh, a Torah, but simply as the rock. The rock. As we read in Numbers 20 verse 8. So first time, it's described as a rock at Horeb. But this second time, it's now described just the rock. 
it reads, uh, Numbers 20 verse 8 reads, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and he will pour out his water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So here now, it's now described as the rock. First time around, described with reference to Horeb. Hence, the rock then is well known in the narrative of the blessing of water that the Lord provided for Israel in the desert. And the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, wants us to recognize that God was really the source of the miracle of water coming from the rock, as in that phrasing of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, where we're starting, it reads, from the spiritual rock. The spiritual rock. Now, to be sure, we understand that God was the source of the miracle of water pouring forth from the rock at Horeb. And so the Holy Spirit, in no certain times, then, tells us through the apostle that it was Jesus Christ that was the source of the miracle, as we read then in the last clause of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, when he say, and that rock was Christ. And that rock was Christ. Now the apostle did not mean that an inanimate object was Christ. But that is a way to tell us that he was, that Jesus Christ was responsible for the miracle of water gushing out from the rock when Moses did what uh, God instructed him. Although, as we have said, the apostle could also be thinking of the Jewish tradition of a traveling rock or a traveling well of water. Anyway, the identification of Christ as being behind the miracle of provision of water from the rock to the Israelites helps us then to be certain that the one who accompanied the Israelites as they traveled from Egypt and throughout their stay in the desert is the pre-incarnate Son of God. We have argued and taught, studied several times that prior to the cross, prior to the virgin birth, Christ appeared several times as the angel of the Lord. He will appear. Taken on a human form. But a temporary. Until he took it permanently. When he was born through virgin birth. So, he was the one going along with Israel during their uh, march through the desert. So that is something that we, we have to be sure. Because of this passage, we are now, there's no doubt about it. So he is the one that was described then as the Lord that went ahead of the Israelites. Furthermore, the clause, and that rock was Christ, conveys to us that Jesus Christ is the source of the blessing of sustenance the Israelites received under the leadership of Moses. Now this assertion enables us then to recognize 
how we tied the enjoyment of blessing of the Israelites in the desert to Jesus Christ. Hence the message of this passage of 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 1 through 4, which is that you should, under the right spiritual leadership, enjoy God's blessings through Jesus Christ. Now be that then as we may, we asserted that the third blessing of Israel in the desert under the leadership of Moses is that of continual sustenance. So in keeping with the application of the blessing of Israel to us, present day believers, we should consider the sustenance that we should receive through the Lord Jesus Christ under the right spiritual leadership. There is a sustenance that we must receive. Now the sustenance we receive is first spiritual and then physical. The sustenance that we receive. Now spiritual sustenance has been provided for believers in that we are assured that everything necessary to thrive in our faith is already provided. As that's implied in Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Everything you and I need to thrive in our spiritual life, God already provided. So we have we read his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now some scholars connect the word life with the word godliness by indicating that we have what's known as a hendiades. A hendiades you know, is really nothing but an expression of a single idea with two different words joined with the word and. But it's just talking about one thing. So instead of uh, having the expression that we have here, life and godliness, because they say it's a hendiades. Now, I mean, like I say, again, Hendiades is a figure of speech where you have two one single idea, but you use two different words to uh, describe it, but you join the two words with and. and the, the example they use is, I think, uh, something like, this is uh, nice and warm. Nice and warm. I say, that really means nicely warm. Single idea. So that's what some say that we have here. Because of that, instead of the phrase uh, life and godliness, they say a life of godliness. So they're trying to express the same concept. What are they? Well, so the implication of according to them then is that Peter is concerned primarily with our spiritual life and its provision. Now, while it is possible though, it is best to see that the apostle was concerned with both our physical existence and 
our spiritual existence since the scripture bears this out in that God is concerned with the spiritual sustenance of believers that are to be provided through those who are over them spiritually as implied in the uh, instructional to elders that the apostle uh, Peter gave in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. So we are going to that there are two aspects. God has provided all we need spiritually and, and physically. The spiritual aspect is what we have here. It says it reads to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now here's the thing. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples uh, examples to the flock. Now, shepherding of believers certainly involves nurturing them spiritually through the teaching of the word of God. That is what a shepherd is. Now, of course, because of the rebellion among Christians today, there are not, there are not too many Christians that actually have shepherds. What what am I talking about? It has to do with the relationship between members of the local church and their pastors. If you don't see your pastor as your shepherd, then he cannot be a shepherd. I mean, mean, you can go to church, it doesn't matter. But there is, God knows why he wants you to have a, a relationship between you and your pastor. So that you can be described as, as the sheep and he the shepherd. But, of course, that's what the apostle is concerned here. That it is through teaching that that is established. Now, it is not that a shepherd of the church of Christ is not concerned with the physical needs of those he shepherds. But, his greater concern is with the spiritual nourishment as he probably could not do much about their physical sustenance. Especially as the believers are responsible for taking care of their shepherds in form of supporting them, as the apostle had already indicated in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. In other words, it's more like those things they talk in biology, I think they say symbiosis. In other words, you support this, the same thing supports you. In one way. So here it is. Pastors or shepherds are supposed to support, feed the congregation in a spiritual way. Out of the blessings that they gave from spiritual and physical, they return it back to the shepherd in the form of physical support. 
so that shepherds or overseers of a local church, the church of Christ, are primarily concerned with spiritual sustenance. It's illustrated by what Apostle Paul stated of doing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. It reads, But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you have become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We walked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless. We were among you who believed. For you know that we deal and that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Here it is encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So that's what the apostle says as a father. A pastor, as I've told you several times, a pastor is a father of a congregation. And so, well, if you're a good father, you should expect certain things that about you to be true of your pastor in a way, because a good father must be encouraging, comforting, and urging the child to live a life in a certain way. So, I mean, without being believers, I'm talking about just in a general sense. So a good father will try to channel the children to live in according to the standard of society, whatever is acceptable. But for, from the spiritual perspective, it's a father who is a believer will then try to channel the children to live according to the scripture. So every pastor ought to have this in their thinking, that I'm a father to a congregation. Now Apostle Paul indicated that Part of nurturing or caring for the Thessalonians involves encouraging and urging them to live lives worthy of God. Thus, he provided them spiritual nourishment for their spiritual sustenance. We, of course, should not forget that the reason the Lord of the church gave spiritual gifts of communication of God's word to certain men is to nourish or sustain believers spiritually. To nourish or sustain believers spiritually. And that's what we gather from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13.
Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13. It reads, it was because it was, I'm sorry, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Look at it, to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now because believers are to be sustained by proper teaching of the word of God, we should ensure that we are under the right kind of spiritual leadership. The right kind of spiritual leadership will teach the whole realm of the truth without mincing words or holding back because of not wanting to offend people. On the one hand, I mean on the other hand, the wrong spiritual leadership wants to dance to the winds or likes of believers so that they will not teach or in this case they will only teach them only what the congregation wants to hear or what they desire that will please them. That is not a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader who is only dancing to the tune of the congregation is not a spiritual leader. Because you are supposed to lead that means you are going to teach them things they are not comfortable with but is it true that God wants you to teach things that you know they frown at. It doesn't matter. A true shepherd must be, give the sheep the best of food forever. Regardless of how they react. That is what a true spiritual leader must do. Now, because we don't have that much today, we have all these people, as I say, dancing around, trying to preach to please the congregation for whatever reason. And no wonder, or it's not surprising, that the Holy Spirit told us that's going to happen in the last days. As we read from Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. He reads, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So my point is that if you only want those who will teach you what you want to hear, you are allying yourself with wrong spiritual leadership. Consequently, you will not receive the spiritual nourishment 
that you need to thrive on this planet. Furthermore, your lack of spiritual nourishment may affect your physical nourishment in that the Lord may withhold his material blessings on you. Or, you may have abundance of material things, but he denies you the ability to enjoy them. As Solomon complained, as one of the things that he found incomprehensible in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 2. Now all I'm going to prove there is, yes, I've said, if you don't pay attention to your spiritual life, the Lord may withhold his material blessings. On the other hand, he may give you a whole lot of money, for example, but you can enjoy it. Because you don't, you know, you don't, you're not healthy. You can enjoy it. He can do that. So this is what we read here. It says, uh, Ecclesiastes 6.2 reads, God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. But look at the next thing. But God does not enable him to enjoy them. A stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless or meaningless, because you remember who says it's incomprehensible, a grievous evil. So anyway, we should recognize that the Lord has also provided physical sustenance for the believer as part of his blessing. There are at least two ways to demonstrate that the Lord is committed to the sustenance of the believer. The first is from the declarations in Psalms, the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 37 verse 27. Psalms 37 verse 27. That's the first passage. There are two passages in Psalms that yes indicate yes God has provided for a spiritual uh, material blessing. It says, I was young, now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children baking bread. Now the righteous, of course, here doesn't mean a perfect person, it just means a believer who will strive to live according to the truth. Now another case where the psalmist is declared that is the sustenance of God for his creation in Psalm 104, verses 27 and 28. Psalm 104, verses 27 through 28. He reads, These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they get, gather it up, and when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. So the psalmist indicates that every living creature looks to God for food which it provides at the appropriate time. So, if that is the case, we are certain that he is committed to provide sustenance to believers in Christ. Now, a second way to demonstrate that God is committed to the sustenance of believers, physical of course, is through the command against worrying as we have in Matthew 
chapter 6 verses 31 through 34. Matthew chapter 6 verses 31 through 34. The issue of course is that the Lord uh, forbids us from warring because of this. He committed to caring for us. So verse 31 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. They seek forth his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, the issue here is because the Lord is committed to taking care of you. He tells you don't worry about your physical sustenance. So the Lord provides for us spiritual sustenance, physical uh, sustenance. But the only thing required of you in this particular case is that you live according to truth. In other words, submit yourself to the rule of Christ and you do that by submitting yourself to the teaching of the word of God. So we come right back to the same message which is you should under the right spiritual leadership enjoy God's blessings through Jesus Christ. So here really what we have studied in this passage in, in a nutshell. This is it. If you are under the right spiritual leadership you should enjoy God's presence that implies that you are guided and protected by Him. Now such blessing will imply though that you will live a life that pleases God. You will enjoy God's deliverance. You will enjoy His physical and spiritual sustenance on this planet. If you enjoy all three blessings that we have studied that will guarantee that you will be eternally rewarded in heaven. So, strive to be under the right spiritual leadership. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet we want you to know of God's love for you. His love is made manifest through what he did. He knew he created us. He knew all the mess we'd get into. He knew that we're incapable of doing anything to have eternal relationship with him. So once man sinned, God's plan of course has already been in effect. It was just made then revealed that the son of God will come to this planet to take on a human form to die for your sins and my sins. And while on that cross he suffered in ways that we can never imagine. Yet he, out of his love he can look and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Same the same thing to you. Father, he's praying that you don't know what you're doing. So that forgiveness can be given to you. However, this forgiveness can only come to you through one way. And that is by way of faith. Because Christ went to the cross and died for our sins 
And when he died for our sins, he said, it is finished. He paid all the penalty for sin. The only thing remaining is your attitude towards the one who paid for your sins. So if you believe in him, as the Bible commands, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in him, you have life through his name. If you trust him, if you believe in him, you will receive eternal life. On the other hand, if you say, I don't know, my friend, you are knocking at the door of hell, a place of eternal suffering of the type you can never imagine now. And so, flee from it through faith in Christ. And you will be saved. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to sustain us so that we will enjoy the blessings that you have for us in this planet and to guarantee us of further reward in heaven. So we pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will work in us so that we continue to strive to be under the right spiritual leadership. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. We'll see you. We'll continue our worship for today where we meet for uh, the love feast.